We've spent the last few weeks talking about the fact that difficult times are going to come. In fact, difficult times have come. Uh, In our nation, we know that the difficult times are here. And sometimes they come in our personal lives, and we don't know quite what to expect. We don't know how uh, to, to respond. We don't know what will happen next. We feel totally out of control. And one of the most helpful things we've seen is that the Bible really does have a lot to say about times like that. Because for the most part, the Bible was written by people and for people who were facing uncertainty and instability. In the Bible, we see the life stories of people who survived and thrived in difficult times, and we see the stories of people who crashed and burned in difficult times. But what's the difference? I believe in honesty, so let's just be open and upfront. It is difficult to be certain about God in times of uncertainty. It's tough for us to see God as this rock of strength and stability when everything around us is unstable. The bottom line is, it is hard for us to follow God in difficult times. It's easy to follow God when things are good. That's not much of a challenge, is it? When things are good in our business or our family or on our job, it's easy. Because then when something good happens, it's, well, there's God. There God goes again. Boy, that's a God thing. Thank you, God. Isn't God good? But in uncertain times, it's, where's God? How could God let the, what, what happened? Where'd he go? It's hard to follow God because, honestly, sometimes it seems like He's nowhere around. <laughs> like we're not being rewarded for our faithfulness or our, our, our effort. And in difficult times, it's easy to conclude that God is maybe just not that interested in what's going on in our lives. I mean, if He was interested, wouldn't everything go our way? So when things aren't going so well. Again, whether it's family or job or school or health or whatever, we're tempted to say, why should I even follow Him? It's not working out for me. I'm not getting what I need out of this. In difficult times, it it is a challenge for us to know what to do or how to respond. We're finishing up our Buckle Up message series today. and, And I think what we're looking at today may be the most practical thing yet, the most practical thing that we've seen yet. And and in some ways, it's the simplest thing, but I want you to know that what we're going to, the conclusion we're going to reach today, while it may be simple, it is not easy. Because today we're going to talk about buckle up and follow. If you have a Bible, turn over to the first book there in the Bible, the book of Genesis, to chapter 37. This is my favorite story in, in the Old Testament. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph was a favored son who became a slave, who became a prisoner, who became a leader, who saved a nation. And i got to tell you up front, this is not a story that goes like this. Well, on Monday something bad happened, and on Wednesday God answered my prayer. This is not that. Besides, I hate those kind of stories, okay? It never works out like that for me, so I don't want to hear that kind of story, right? Joseph's story takes place over 13 years, and it illustrates for us, I think, better than any other story in the Bible, how to follow God in times of uncertainty and instability. 
Now, if you've ever been a kid in, in Sunday school or, or vacation Bible school, you're probably a little bit familiar with this story, and we're just going to work our way through it together. And, and my hope is that God will teach us something big about following Him in difficult times. Now, just to set the stage a little bit, Joseph is, is one of 12 brothers, 12 sons of Jacob, and, and he's the favorite. And what's more, he knows he's the favorite. Okay. And one of the ways that his father has indicated to him that this is my favorite son is he's given him this special coat. Now, we were always taught that it was a coat of many colors. Well, the Hebrew is a little vague there. It actually means a many-seamed garment. It could mean that it was made out of a lot of pieces of cloth, but even that would make it very expensive because it would be very labor-intensive and time-consuming to make. But, you know, I don't want to rock anybody's world, so if you want to say coat of many colors, you say coat of many colors. The fact is, he gave him a coat that distinguished him from his brothers. Don't think they weren't aware that he was daddy's favorite, too. In fact... They hated him because he was the favorite, because he was a little bit conceited about that. Now, his brothers were kind of rowdy, and, and Jacob would rat them, I mean, uh, Joseph would rat them out to Jacob in a heartbeat. I mean, just tell on them just like that. He, and and uh, so one day, Jacob sends Joseph to check on the brothers. They're out taking care of the flocks and the sheep and things, and, and, uh, and what happens next begins to tip us off to the dynamics in this family. It's in Genesis 37. And we'll pick up in verse 18. Genesis 37, 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, I know that some of us may not get along with our brothers and sisters, but um, <laughs> this is kind of tough. I mean, this would be like looking out your kitchen window and seeing your brother pull into the driveway and you say, hey, honey, I got an idea. You open the door. I'm going to hide behind the door with this baseball bat. And when he comes in, <laughs> Joseph's brothers grab him and throw him down a well. And then they have an argument about whether they should kill him or sell him into slavery. Now, are you beginning to pick up on the least little bit of dysfunction in this family? When, when, you, when your brother's best options for what to do with you after they've thrown you down the well is kill him or sell him into slavery, something's off a little bit in that family. What they decide to do is sell him to some traders, some Ishmaelite traders who are passing through. Now, now get this. Joseph is 17 years old. We got any 17-year-olds here? Raise your hand if you're 17. Okay, you see him? Oh, Greg Michaels. Okay. All right, you see, did you see? Did you spot the 17-year-olds? Joseph was your age. Joseph was their age. And he's done nothing wrong. Yeah, he's a tattletale. 
And yeah, he's, he's, he's conceited about being daddy's favorite. But he hasn't done anything to harm his brothers. And he is sold to traitors, marched through the desert to Egypt, put on the auction block, and they sell him for a slave. A little rich boy. The favorite son and heir of a very wealthy and influential father. A bright future ahead of him. And in a matter of days... He's put up for auction as a slave. He's 17 years old. You know, we might want to take a moment to reevaluate how difficult we think things really are in our lives. Joseph faced uncertainty and instability at a level and on a scale that, that most of us will never even come close to. So skip to the beginning of chapter 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian official. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And now watch for the surprise in the next verse, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Now here's where we say, whoa, whoa, what? Whoa, whoa, no, 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 what? No, no, if the Lord had been with Joseph, he wouldn't have been sold into slavery. If the Lord was with Joseph, as soon as his brothers laid a hand on him, they'd have been struck dead, right? I mean, God's voice would have boomed down from heaven. Don't touch Joseph. I am with him. Of course, you know, God would have sounded a little bit more like James Earl Jones, but you get the idea. His brothers would just have croaked and fallen over. Right? That's what's supposed to happen when the Lord is with somebody, right? If God's with you, you don't get thrown down a well and sold into slavery. You know, it's easy for us to follow God when things are good and life is easy and wrinkle-free. I mean, everywhere we look, we see God. Everything that happens, we see the flowers smell sweeter. Food tastes better. But when things get difficult like they are here for Joseph, we can't find God with the Hubble telescope. Joseph's been attacked by his brothers, thrown down a well, sold into slavery, and the Bible tells us the Lord was with him. If you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to get this. The fact that things may not be going our way is not evidence that God is not with us. Not. Make sure you get that. The fact that things may not be going our way is not evidence that God is not with us. You won't hear that from every Christian preacher and teacher. In fact, you, they may try to tell you exactly the opposite. So how do we meet the challenge of following God in times of uncertainty and instability? Well, let's keep going with Joseph's story in verse 2 there in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. 
Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. Things are starting to look up. Now, of course, Joseph is still a slave. He's still hundreds of miles away from home. But things are starting to look up, right? Well, go on to verse 6. Where it says there at the last part of verse 6, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my, must, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except you because you are his wife. Joseph is the boss's right-hand man. He's the number one guy in the house. And now the boss's wife puts pressure on him to go to bed with her. And don't forget, Joseph is 17. Guys, think back. Well, no, on second thought, don't. He's, <laughs> he's 17. He's hundreds of miles from home. Mom and dad are nowhere around. And he's had an awful lot of bad stuff going on in his life lately. You get the picture? It would have been so easy for him to give in. But what does he say next? Last part of verse 9 there. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Huh? Are you talking about the God who let your brothers throw you down the well? Who allowed you to be sold into slavery? The God who's allowing you to face incredible temptation? Um, that's the God you want to make sure you don't sin against? You want to be faithful to that God? I mean, come on, man. Your God is in Canaan. You're in Egypt. And what happens in Egypt stays in Egypt. Do you really want to remain faithful to a God who's done nothing for you, who's not answering your prayers, who for all intents and purposes has abandoned you? Is that the God you're talking about, Joseph? Look what happens next. Verse 10, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, when no one else was around, uh, no one else was around when he went in to do his work, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. And immediately an angel appeared and turned her to salt, and the wind blew her away, and she was never seen or heard from again because the Lord was with Joseph. I mean, that's what's supposed to happen when God is with you, right? <laughs> the people who don't have Bibles are going, what? I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. Skip down to verse 12. Well, the last part of verse 12. 
Joseph tore himself away but left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that he was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in here and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison, where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. Isn't this how life kind of feels like sometimes? I pray, and I'm faithful, and I do the right thing, and I do my best. And still, it seems like God has turned his back on me. But listen, nothing could be further from the truth. Joseph now sitting in prison. Said, let me make sure I got this. I, I did the right thing. And now not only am I a slave, I'm an inmate. And here's the next surprise. Look down in verse, in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Some translations say he was kind to him, that God showed him kindness. He's still a slave, right? He's still in prison. Last part of verse 21. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Yeah, I think Joseph was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Things are really looking up now. I've got favor with the warden. I am so grateful, oh, faithful God. You know, the only thing that could be better is, oh, I don't know, not needing the favor of a prison warden. Not being in a situation where that's, you know, the upside. I mean, if you're here and you're good, God, please do something to give me some evidence. That you're with me. And I told you this last week. When, I, when I'm preaching, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody but me. You know, one of the reasons I preach is because I can't afford therapy. And some... <coughs> some this, is my, this is my struggle. This is my struggle. It's so easy to follow God when all I see Him doing is what I think or God thinks. Right? I mean, when we've got enough money and when everybody's healthy and when Vicky and I are getting along great and everything's going along well here at church, I just, that, that's God. But turn any of that around and my thinking just blows up. Well, that couldn't be of God. 
is so difficult for us to follow God in times of uncertainty and instability. You really need to read the whole story of Joseph in Genesis 37 through, through the end of the, the book, <laughs> chapter 50. I don't read it right now while I'm preaching, but you read it later when you get home. It, it'll blow you away because when trouble is piling up in Joseph's life, I mean, things are going from bad to worse to awful to terrible, and God doesn't seem to be answering any prayers. There's no miracles. There's no deliverance. The entire time, God is at work behind the scenes doing something Joseph doesn't have a clue about. And God never sends an angel to let him in on it. God never gives him a word. God never gives somebody else a word for him. In fact, Joseph dies without ever knowing the whole picture, without seeing exactly what it is God is up to in his life. He has an understanding about some of it, but he never sees the whole picture. You read this story and you see that even though God might have been silent, even though it might have looked like he wasn't doing anything, God was always with Joseph and was always accomplishing his purposes and his plan. But how do we follow God when we can't see him at work? Joseph ends up being in prison with two men who were put there by Pharaoh. It was the cupbearer and, and the baker, Pharaoh's baker. And, and Joseph is given responsibility to, to look after them, and they become friends. And one day the two men have dreams that they're talking about, trying to figure out what they mean. And Joseph offers to interpret their dreams for them. Now this is in chapter 40. We're up to chapter 40 now, verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that had begun to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me. And do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this business. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. But I did nothing to deserve it. Joseph says, I, I know God is with me, but I'm not enjoying this. I, I know God is with me, but I don't want to be here anymore. And it goes on. Verse 20. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later. And he prepared a banquet for all his officials and his staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker. Now, I didn't tell you that part. We didn't read that scripture. But in, in prison, when Pharaoh or when Joseph's interpreting the dreams, he tells the cupbearer, you're going to be restored to your position. And he tells the baker, uh, Pharaoh's going to execute you. You're going to be impaled on a stick. And that's exactly what happened. It, it, the, the scripture says there in verse 22, uh, Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dreams. Now, let me ask you something. If somebody tells you, if, if you and another person are standing here and someone interprets your dream and says, 
hurt to you, you're going to be put back on your job. You're going to get your job back. You're going to be you're gonna, And then three days later, it happens. I think you remember anything like that. Don't you? I think that, I think that kind of sticks in your mind a little bit. But look at verse 23. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Here was Joseph's big break. His best shot at getting out of prison. And he's forgotten. You ever feel forgotten? You ever been there? You ever feel like the people who are closest to you, the people who you've done things for, people who could give you a break, people who could help you, people who could get you that interview, people who could make that introduction, people who could help you with your business, who could advance your career, who could be beneficial to your family, and they don't give you another thought. I feel like I do in those times. God, what are you doing? That, that was my ticket out. That was, my, that was my, my foot in the door. That was what I've been praying for. Are you even paying attention? Have you forgotten me too? You, you know what the most agonizing part of this is? Nobody comes back to Joseph and goes, hey, Chief Cupbearer, forgot about you. He goes to anticipate getting out. Oh, man, you know what's the toughest thing for us in difficult times is managing our expectations. Oh, man, this is going to happen, and then this door is going to open. This thing's going to happen for me. We're going to get to do this. This is going to open up. All this is going to go away. I'm, we're going to be well. We're going to be better. We're going to advance. And then it doesn't happen. But we don't know it right away. A lot of times, we don't get a memo. Nobody comes and knocks on the door and says, yeah, that good thing you thought was going to break everything loose in your life, mm. it's not going to happen. We just gradually realize over time, it's not going to be that way. Through all of his trouble and misfortune, 11 years now he's been in prison. 11 years he's been one bad thing after another. Eleven years of unanswered prayer. And what do we know about Joseph? God was with him. What do we know? God was with him. I got some good news for you. We may not see him because we just look for God in the good things. Right? But if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ and God is our Heavenly Father, He is always with us. Well, I thought I would have got a bigger amen. Maybe I was thinking about a different church. No, no. He's always with us. He has never forgotten you. Two more years go by. When was the day? When was the day when Joseph lost hope in that two years? When was the day that he didn't get up and think, Chief Cupbearer's going to... Mention my name to Pharaoh. He's going to, see, he's going to tell him about my situation today. I'll be out of here by nightfall. When was the, when was the last day? When, when he, he didn't have that hope anymore. 
For all Joseph knows, he's going to spend the rest of his life in an Egyptian prison. But then chapter 41, verse 1 says, Two then four years later, Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh had a dream. He couldn't figure out what it meant. He called all of his smart people together to try to figure out what it meant. And that's when the cupbearer goes, Joseph, hey, I met this guy while I was in prison, and he is the best at interpreting dreams. Pharaoh's got nothing to lose. He sends for Joseph. They, they, they clean him up. They get him a fresh haircut and a shave. They put some clean clothes on him. And in verse 15 there, Genesis 41, verse 15, the Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. God, do you notice that Joseph is still giving glory to God after 13 years in prison? Pharaoh tells him the dream. Joseph interprets it. Pharaoh realizes this is the smartest guy he's ever met. And here's what he says down in verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Hey, folks. In 15 minutes, Joseph went from being an inmate to being in charge. He went from prisoner to prime minister like that after 13 years. You can't plan that. That wasn't in Joseph's long-range plan. There is no way for that to happen unless God is in the mix. No That's why we said several weeks ago, we will lose hope in times of uncertainty and instability unless and until we factor God into our future. That's one of the reasons we got to buckle up and remember. Because God's faithfulness in our past shines a light. On our future. What happens from here on in is really so amazing. You, you kind of read this story. Pharaoh's dream had predicted a famine that was coming to the land. I mean, it was going to be earth shattering, there was going to be no food. And what Joseph does from his, from his new platform of, of authority and responsibility is he comes up with a plan that saves the nation and saves countless lives, including the lives of his family including the lives of Pharaoh's brothers who sold him into slavery. Now that, that's an amazing story. How, those, how they came back together, how he revealed himself to his brothers when they, they came to, to buy food, the only food available in that part of the world, and how he's reunited with his father. You really need to read that. But in that meeting where Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers, he makes a statement that shows us he's beginning to get a little bit of understanding about what God might have been doing during all of that uncertainty and all of that instability. In chapter 45, Joseph says, 45, verse 5, It was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives. 
me. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. Let me tell you what happens. Because Joseph endures 13 years of hell on earth as a slave, 13 prisoners in Egypt. Hell on Egypt and Jesus after in Egypt. You didn't hear me. Jesus happens. Joseph's not in that position. The Hebrews come from Canaan to buy food from Egypt. And they probably get imprisoned or enslaved if they're not killed. We're not selling you our foods. And so what happens if Jacob's family dies out? So God's got to have a plan B, right? And God don't have no plan B. So how was Joseph able to endure and stay faithful to God through all those fears and all that he went through? It's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's Joseph behaves like a person who, in his circumstances, is absolutely certain that his God is with him. Make sure you get that. He behaves like a person who, in his circumstances, is absolutely certain that God is with him. Joseph simply did, in his circumstances, what anyone who was 100% sure that God was with them will do. It's so simple, it's almost stupid. Maybe that's what was needed. The, the application for us is simple. Again, but it's not easy. In our circumstances, whatever they are, not in our marriage, our family, our business, our jobs, our finances, our health, we need to ask ourselves, what would someone in these particular circumstances do if they were absolutely certain God was with them? And then do it. That's how we make it in difficult times. That's how we follow God in difficult times. How we follow God in difficult times. In Hebrews 13, 5, when God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I think he believed that because he knew there would be times when we would feel that forsaken. He knew there would be times when we would look around at our circumstances and say, where are you, God? He knew there would be times that weren't good. Some people weren't well. Some people weren't weren't happy when some people didn't have enough. And he knew in those times we would be tempted to think, God, I don't see you at work, so you must not be working. And so he says to us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. All I'm asking you to do is live in your circumstances like a person who is absolutely certain that God is with you. And the day will come when you will see that I was at work. I was there. In your times of uncertainty and instability. How do we follow God in difficult times? We simply live like a person who is absolutely certain God is with us. God is the master at pulling and squeezing and arranging and orchestrating.
frustrating good things out of bad situations and bad circumstances. And what he's asking us to do is buckle up. What is that? Buckle up and pray. Buckle up. Draw back the curtain of your heart and lay your desires before him. The curtain. Remember, remember his faithfulness in times past so we can have hope for the future. Buckle up and seek his kingdom. Stop worrying about all this stuff and start worrying about his agenda. Let him worry about your stuff. Worry about his kingdom and his agenda. And then get up every morning and think and feel and act like anybody in our circumstances would if they were certain. And absolutely certain. If that were the guidance we have. And at the end of the day, or the week, or the month, or the year, do I keep going? At, even at the end of our lives, we will be able to even look back and say, God was working and he brought me and he helped me survive. And thrive in difficult times. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we're we're just 